the last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Now for today's Culture Club, we're joined by a man who has been with us a number of times over the last year during lockdown, talking about his own health issues because he is stage four COPD. But he has also used the time to write a great little book, his memoir of his life in journalism. And finally, it's called A Journalist's Life in 250 Stories. He's very familiar to those who over the years have read The Evening Herald, The Irish Daily Star, The Sunday World and The Sunday Tribune. Paddy Murray, thank you very much for joining us on The Culture Club today. Thank you for inviting me, Matt. And of course, as well as all the stories, it's shameless and it's name dropping as well, isn't it? Oh, well, I mean, you have to drop names like, I mean, here I go, John, Wayne, Elton John, all my old friends. <laughs> yeah i noticed that but in fairness what about meeting your heroes because we are going to sort of talk about musical heroes and stuff like that i mean how many times did you get an opportunity in your career as a journalist to meet your heroes and did they actually live up to your expectations of them well i I think it was lucky matt because most of the people i met i met in the 70s and 80s and maybe a bit of the 90s and it it was before the walls of pr and security and all this nonsense got in your way. So you actually got to meet real people. I mean, Elton John was as normal as you could get anyone to be. James Taylor was as normal as he could get him to be. John Wayne, incredibly, was just like any other guy. Now, uh, hang on. Me- Elton John isn't normal. Elton John, well, I've seen the Elton John movie, Rocket Man. He's far from normal. Well, well hold on. In, in my case, as you talk about name dropping, it was he who asked to meet me because I'd written a very good review of his show in Belfast, and he was so pleased he wanted to say thank you. And, like, he was normal. We met again a couple of years later. Myself and Jamaican were walking through a stadium in in, uh, in Paris before uh, an Elton John gig, and Elton John came out of a room and said, hello, Paddy, walked straight past Jamaican, who was paying him 400,000 quid to play a gig in Dublin. <laughs> because we, just, we, we just got on, you know, because... I think if you have no bull, these guys would like to be normal, a lot of them. I really think they would prefer to be normal if they were given the chance. But they're not. Did you ever get a chance to meet the Beatles? Because I know the Beatles are amongst your absolute heroes. They are, but the only time, in 1972, in the summer of kind of a, a misbehaviour in London, I went into the Apple building and I sat down and after about half an hour, the lady behind the reception asked me what I wanted. I said I wanted to meet a beetle. And she burst out laughing and said, they don't come in here every day. And I said, can I wait a while? And she said, feel free. So I waited a while. And about another 40 minutes later, in came George. So I said, hello, George. And I shook his hand. I said, my name is Paddy. I've come from Dublin to meet a beetle. And he kind of looked extremely shocked, shook my hand and sort of walked away. But I got, I got to meet a beetle. I got Paddy. What age were you when you did that? Um, 18. <laughs> so that's fair enough. You're still a teenager. You weren't a fully formed adult at that stage. No, I don't think so. I didn't know, no. It was a mad summer, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I didn't really expect them to be coming in every day, but there you are. I got lucky. Well, I, I'm going to actually see, as we've been talking about the Beatles, I'm going to stick with it because you have, as your favourite album, Revolver. Why have you picked that as your favourite album? Well, to me, that's the album that, that, that more than any other, changed the Beatles. That, uh, they, they weren't just a pop group anymore. They were, they were, they were changing music. 
they they weren't singing love songs as much as they used to. It wasn't just cliched old stuff. It was really, really the album that changed them. Plus, very importantly, and they were very considerate in this, they released it on my 13th birthday. So I got it as a birthday present. It was probably the first album I ever got as a birthday present. But it was released on the 5th of August, 1966. But I, I do think it changed music because, I mean, with the exception of Yellow Submarine, they're all great songs. And you can't say that about many albums. Well, the track that we have is Tomorrow Never Knows. Great. So when you got that for your 13th birthday, given that it was a departure from the music, as you said, what did you make of it at the time? Well, I think whether I liked it or not, I, I think I did like it. I, mean, I found that track particularly strange, a bit of Indian influence and possibly some illegal substances. But um, <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, I was glad that there was something different happening. I really was, because I mean, I'd, I'd earlier on liked bands like the Yardbirds, who became Led Zeppelin. I was always like the Stones and people, you know, so anything that was a bit different from, I suppose, show bands and all that kind of stuff that we had our fill of here, I liked. Well, we asked you for the first single you ever bought as well, and uh, you mentioned it was by the Yardbirds. Tell us about well, that. For Your Love. Um, the Yardbirds are the band, they, they actually had at various stages, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and um, who was the other one? There's some of the greatest guitarists in the world. Oh, um, Jeff Beck played for the, the Yardbirds at various times. And they, they morphed into the new Yardbirds and then into, into Led Zeppelin in the end. Again, they were a band that weren't afraid to be different. They brought out songs with a bit of kind of bongo solos in them and stuff. And uh, they were just, again, a, a little bit away from the norm. And that's why Let's I like hear. them. Let's hear For Your Love.
Now that's a pretty cool start. Real sound of the 60s, but a little bit different for your love, the Yardbirds. You have, though, clearly, we asked you for favourite band, and we know the Beatles you have the love for, but you have, across the decades, so many artists as well that you nominated. Give us an example of some of the stuff that you've really liked. Particularly, I know you love listening to Irish artists. I do, yeah. I mean, of course, Horselip's one of the great bands. You too. I'm not afraid to say I like you too. But even now, I mean, there's guys like Liam Geddes, Divine Comedy, um, Mick Flannery, uh, Niall Connolly, Ethanessa Francis. I've gone to see all these people. I, I used to love going to to Whelan's and um, the Grand Social and places like that because um, there's a much better atmosphere than there is in, in places like the, um, the Point or the, or the Three Arena. I think that's off the agenda for me probably permanently now with this uh, COVID business. But um, I've, I've actually tickets for 14 gigs I didn't get to see because of uh, the, um, the, yeah, the pandemic. Band. Yeah, Villagers, um, Mick Pyro, uh, another great great uh, South Dublin singer, um, Hudson Taylor. There's just there's an endless, endless Irish talent. I don't know why they don't seem to get the... Uh, I mean, there's this... Great pop bands too, like Aslan, Picture House. I don't know how they never made it. I really don't. Well, you it's mentioned Big Pyro. Yeah. Uh, we actually have from Republic of Loose a little bit of Comeback Girl. Oh, brilliant. Loose comeback girl. Now, we also ask all of our Culture Club guests to nominate best gig that they were at. And Paddy Murray, you've definitely gone back many years for your favourite selection. I went back to uh, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. I, I always referred to them as Fleetwood Mac before they turned into Bucks Fizz. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, I know Fleetwood Mac fans hate me saying that. But it was Peter Green and Jeremy Spencer in the National Stadium in 1969. And they, I think they were marginally out of their brains because they played for about three and a half hours. And the gig was famous at the end for the cleaning ladies dancing around their brushes as the band played on and on. And they were just absolutely classic uh, rock and roll blues. I mean, it really went on. I don't know where I told my parents I was that night. I was 16. I, I, I can't imagine I got permission to go to the National Stadium to a rock gig. But it went on for three and a half hours and it was absolutely magic. And it's one of the things that um, made me love live music, I think, you know. There's one of the things that made, made me realise that there's nothing beats live music. You know, it really is just absolute magic. I mean, my tastes are a bit strange. I, I should have put it on the list. The band I saw a couple of years ago in the 
Grand Social, the psychedelic porn crumpets. <laughs> I swear, the psychedelic porn crumpets are an Australian heavy metal band, and they are like sticking your head in a jet engine. But I had a good night. It was good. And what astonished me was I wasn't the oldest person there. I was amazed. There were people older than me. I'm probably madder than I am anyway. But uh, yeah. The, the name of that band again? The Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. Yeah, trips off the tongue, all right, that one a bit. We have a bit of Fleetwood Mac post before they became Bucks Fizz from 1969. Not the uh, gig you saw in Dublin because it wasn't recorded at the National Stadium, but one from the same tour in Norway was. Original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green. We've had Paddy, a lot of people nominate Fleetwood Mac previously on the Culture Club, but it's always been uh, Stevie Nicks, Lindsay Buckingham, Christine McVie generation. No, thank you. I'm, not at all. Do you not like that at all? It's, it's okay. I mean, I don't dislike it. It's just not. I wish they changed their name. That's all, because it's not the Fleetwood Mac I remember. You know, it's a sacrilegious or something, you know, to. Uh, there's no no comparison between the two sounds. They're they're just completely poles apart. Like I'm not all a music right. snob or anything, but um, no. Oh. Well, given what you just told us about that other band, the heavy metal band you went to, you're clearly not a music snob. No, I'm I'm, I'm not normal, but you know that you worked with me. Let's go to television and. Uh, you obviously you grew up in the era when a lot more television was becoming available. So what used to watch and what formed you? Well, I think the one we all looked forward to was Thursday nights on top of the pops. That was really, really important to us back in the 60s. That was really music on television. We'd never seen it before. And we got to see bands we had never seen. Clearly had never seen the people in them or anything like that. So the top of the pops was brilliant. There's a few other similar programs jukebox jury and whatnot. But there was great uh, comedy from the US in particular, Get Smart, which was really, really good. The Rowan and Martin Laughing, which was a real breakthrough in, in comedy and the style of it. Um, here, I don't know what I really liked on, on that was homegrown, but um, definitely the music, even then, music was the pri- of primary importance to me. And does it remain that way now with things like sort of Jules Holland's programmes or all the music documentary shows that would be on a Friday night on BBC Four? It does, and other voices, and seeing new people. I, I love seeing new music. I think that's really important. I mean, again, Jules Holland a couple of years ago had on a guy called Declan McKenna, who's actually English. He's only about 21 now, but God, he's got some output. He's absolutely magic. I've, I've had tickets for him twice in Dublin and not been able to go, but... Uh, He's absolutely, you should remember the name Declan McKenna because I think he's going to be absolutely enormous. 
But yeah, he was look, recommended I'm... on our music spot by John Cadell and D Ready last year. We we've spoken a bit about him. He is an incredible young talent. Isn't he absolutely brilliant? Isn't he? I mean, some of the songs he's written are just how how a nineteen twenty year old could do them. I don't know. He's an extraordinary guy. But um, yeah, the television. I, I like. I'm I'm not really into reality television. I, I prefer the actors. You know, I I really don't want to see people cleaning their houses and losing weight and showing me bits of their bodies that rather they kept private and stuff like that. Um, I, I prefer drama. I like I said in the, in the, the middle period, it was things like um, Hill Street Blues and West Wing. I really really love. I think Hill Street Blues is one of the best programs ever shown on television. I don't know why it's not repeated again and again. It was brilliant. I wonder how it's dated because I certainly remember that my teenage years would have been an absolute favourite of mine. I particularly remember my leaving search year. It was sort of one of the treats of the week about 11 o'clock on was it a, a Thursday night, I think, to watch Hill Street Blues. Uh, but the other one that you've picked, um, which again, many people have picked on the Culture Club, is the West Wing. So before we talk about the West Wing, let's hear a little bit, a scene here with Martin Sheen as President Bartlett and James Brolin as Governor Rob Ritchie in a scene from the West Wing. We should have a great debate, Rob. We owe it to everyone. When I was running as a governor, I didn't know anything. I made them start Bartlett College in my dining room, two hours every morning on foreign affairs and the military. You could do that. How many different ways do you think you're going to find to call me dumb? I wasn't, Rob. But you've turned being unengaged into a zen-like thing, and you shouldn't enjoy it so much as all. And if it appears at times as if I don't like you, that's the only reason why. You're what my friends call a superior son, bitch. You're an academic elitist and a snob. You're uh, Hollywood. You're weak. You're liberal. And you can't be trusted. And if it appears from time to time as if I don't like you, well, those are just a few of the many reasons why. The West Wing, that great scene there. Why did you like it so much, Paddy? Well, I think it, it, a lot of it was wishful thinking, wasn't it? We wished there was a president like that in the United States. I saw some, and Martin Sheen's performance was, was brilliant as well. And uh, CJ, do you remember CJ? The, Alison Janey she was playing the, CJ. Brilliant. I think she was absolutely brilliant as well. I mean, I think every every character was credible. I think that's one of the things that has had, where I, I don't think every series has that. Not all the characters are believable, but they were. He was a very believable president. He really was. When you look at what came after him, he certainly was. You know. Okay, I that's mean, television. Do you listen to podcasts? I don't really. I mean, I, I listen back to things rather than listen to podcasts. Um, you know, I, I listen back to to um, Desert Island Discs music again. Um, I listen to some of the sports podcasts, all right, because I like to get angry about sport. Like, I'm, I'm sure you were as angry as anybody else over the last few days over um, the Super League nonsense. Um, uh, well, we've come to expect that of the likes of Manchester United, Paddy. You know, I support United <laughs> and I agree with you. We have come to expect that kind of nonsense from them of not caring a damn for fans or or the game, to be honest, Matt. They don't care about the game. It's but it's unfortunately, my it's about money. Rugby is go, is going the same way. The French just pouring money into it over and over again, and they they want to make that elitist as well. It's it's going to kill it. You know, it's a shame. 
But let's come back to the Culture Club. And let's, go, <laughs> let's come back to some more of your picks and uh, books. And given that we have you on because of your new book, and finally, A Journalist's Life in 250 Stories, what do you like reading yourself? Um, I've just finished um, uh, JFK, the big, big volume. I can't remember the author's name. A very, very large book. I've also finished a book by Gene Tanzi called um, Black Dragonfly about a kind of half Irish guy who spent the the second part of the 19th century in Japan. Now, that doesn't sound riveting, but extraordinarily the book is. It's not a biography. It's a biography with fiction added, which makes it really, really riveting. I, of course, read one, two, three, four, Craig Davies' book about the Beatles. I read that recently. He was um, a guest on the programme with us recently, yes, on that. Um, uh, uh, Remain in Love by Chris Frams, I think, about... Um, about David Byrne and Talking Heads. And David Byrne doesn't come out of it very well. Um, what else have I been reading? Oh, I read I read Dubliners again recently, which I which I surprised myself by enjoying. And I read A Swim Two Birds Again recently and surprised myself by not enjoying it. Because that was a book when I was 17 or 18. I absolutely loved it. But I wonder, was I pretending <laughs> to love it because everybody else did? But I, I didn't like it at all this time. But well, you also my, nominated a book for us and I'm going to play a clip from it and you can tell us if you still like it. And this is Pocoon. This is the audio book of Pocoon by Spike Milligan. One such beneficiary was Dan Milligan, son of a famous paternity order. With a roof over his head, he had ceased work, living off his pension and his wits, both hopelessly inadequate. This sun barbered morning, the Milligan lay full length on the grass, head against the wall, his eyes lost in the shadow of his cap. I think, he reflected, I think I'll bronze me limbs. He rolled his trousers kneewards, revealing the like of two thin white hairy affairs of the leg variety. He eyed them with obvious dissatisfaction. After examining them, he spoke out loud. Holy God, what are these then, eh? He looked around for an answer. What are they? He repeated angrily. Um, legs. Legs? Whose legs? Um, yours. Mine? And who are you? I'm um, the author. Author? Did you write these legs? Yes. Then I don't like them. I don't like them at all. I could have written better legs myself. Did you write your legs? Uh, no. Ah, so you got someone else to write your legs. Someone who's a good leg writer. And then you write this pair of crappy old legs for me. Well, mister, it's not good enough. Well, I, I'll try and develop them with the plot. It's a diabolical, lilacolomical liberty. Letting an untrained leg writer loose on an unsuspected human being like me. I suspect Spike Milligan enjoyed doing the audio book, but tell us, Paddy Murray, why did you pick that one? I just, it makes me laugh every time. I mean, Spike was quite mad. And again, I'll name drop here. I interviewed him and it was probably my favourite interview ever because he finished by saying it was like talking to an old friend, which really I felt was the best compliment I'd received in years. But he's, he was just as mad as a hatter. And I would say that in a, in a serious and in a funny way because he did have severe mental health issues for Spike. But when he his comedy was just so ahead of its time and so off the wall. I mean, there's I'm not going to quote it, but there's a dirty bit in Pukun, which is the funniest dirty bit you'll ever read in a book. It's absolutely brilliant. I, I just love everything he ever wrote. I loved The Goons. I loved his television show. I loved his books about the war. I, he was a real hero to me, Spike. He really was, because he had it tough, you know. And he was Irish because the English wouldn't, the British wouldn't have him and the Indians wouldn't have him. That's where he was born. 
So he became Irish, like his dad. And uh, I think we should be very proud of him. You have one other book, and knowing your love of language or books, I'm not surprised by this one, a children's book, which I know I got to know from reading to my own children. Uh, Dr. Seuss is The Places You'll Go. Is it a children's book, Matt? I mean, is it really? <laughs> I, I say that because it's very, very dark in places, as you know. It yeah. does bring you right down, doesn't it? It brings, it tells children that there'll be failure, there'll be disappointment, they'll be on their own, they'll be abandoned. But at the end, it does say that they'll be 90, 98 and three quarter percent sure they'll be successful. But I, I bought that book and gave it to a lot of people, moving jobs, moving houses, moving countries. And without exception, they all said, thank you very much. It meant a lot to them when they'd read it. And I think it's a very, very, very nice book, which is, I don't know, is it really for children? It's not only for children, let's say. Well, I've read it to all of my children when they were small, doing all the voices for it and all the rest of it. And I think they all remember it and probably the messages out of it as well. Okay, let's, in the time we've left for us, um, movies. Uh, You've picked out Breakfast at Tiffany's. So before we talk about it, let's hear a scene with George Peppard and Audrey Hepburn. What's the matter with you anyway? What's happened? Please just leave me alone. Holly, I love you. Where are you going? To the ladies' room. What's the matter with you anyway? Let me go. No. Fred, please let me go. Let's get something straight. I am not now, nor have I ever been Fred. Nor am I Benny Shacklett, whoever he may be. My name is Paul. Paul Varjak, and I love you. Let me go. Not till we get this settled. Now, what's all this jazz about South America? I thought if I'm going to marry a South American, I'd better find out something about the country. Marry? What South American? Jose. Who the hell's Jose? Jose de Silva Pereira. Who the hell's Jose de Silva Pereira? Darling, you met him. I know you did. Mag Wildwood's friend. The tall, good-looking one who came to the party with Rusty. Well, my dear, you won't believe this, but it turns out not only is he handsome and wildly rich, he's absolutely cuckoo for me. You're crazy. What, do you think you own me? That's exactly what I think. I know, I know. It's what everybody always thinks, but everybody happens to be wrong. Well, I am not everybody. Okay, Breakfast at Tiffany's, directed by Blake Edwards, later of Pink Panther fame, adapted from Truman Capote's novella. Uh, Romantic comedy, Paddy, why have you picked this? Well, I don't know if it's a comedy again. Yeah, there's comedy in it, but there's lots of um, sad moments in it too. It doesn't bear much relation to Truman Capote's book, by the way. The book is far more dark again than the the movie. Why did I pick it? Audrey Hepburn. I just think she's the most astonishingly beautiful, classy, elegant woman, the actress there ever has been. Her dad is buried down the road here, of course, in Mount Mount Jerome. Her her name is on the tombstone as well. But uh, I just just think it's a great movie. It's a great... Moon River's a great song. I love... New York, I, if I could, I'm not allowed to fly because of my illness, but the first place I'd go if I could is New York, and I'd go straight into Tiffany's again. I love the shop. Although the first time I went in, by the way, I stood at the counter looking at some of the stuff under the glass, and then noticed a little card in the corner which said, items in this display are valued at between fifty and $75,000. So I just quietly backed away because um, I didn't have quite that much on me. <laughs> Okay, we've got time for one very last mention and uh, we asked for play or musical, theatre show. What did you go for? 
Well, West Side Story, I would go for on stage. Or well, we were lucky enough to see Carmen in um, in Verona in the uh, Coliseum in, Ver in Verona, which was absolutely magnificent. But on, on on stage or movie, West Side Story, again, Natalie Wood's performance and the movie, it moves me to tears nearly every time I watch it. You know, it's just fantastic. Uh, they'd be my favourite things on stage, that opera and that musical. So I'm not a fan of musicals in general, I must say, but uh, West Side Story is kind of different. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Paddy Murray, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on the Culture Club here on The Last Word of Today FM. Paddy's book is, and finally, A Journalist's Life in 250 Stories that go over the decades across the various newspapers that he worked in over the time. And indeed, I don't know if you've mentioned your stint on this station's predecessor, Radio Ireland, Paddy, did you? I did mention that briefly. I said, I was just saying, Matt, that they can get that from alanhannes.com. Or, or Liffey Press, because um, I'd rather that than Amazon, to be honest. And, Understood. Um, I, I can say just uh, thank you for having me on, boss. <laughs> we should explain, Paddy and myself worked together as a team in the Sunday Tribune many, many years back. Okay, Paddy Murray, thank you very much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Listen live on air from 4.30 weekdays on Today FM.